0: So imagine with me for a second. Imagine. Imagine that you ruled the worlds. I saw Frozen 2, all right? I'm going to spoil it. I'm not. I, but if, you, if you, that actually bothered you, you might have, like, youth group is only till 17, right? Uh, I'll let that sit. Uh, but imagine that you ruled the worlds. Deep down, we, we all wish we could rule the worlds a little bit. Uh, I I was going to, I was very tempted to use a 90s rapper called Nas and uh, quote some of his lyrics, if I ruled the world, imagine that. Um, But you you couldn't really find good, non-explicitive lyrics out of there, so we'll just leave that alone. But what would you do if you ruled the world? Would you end violence? World peace, no more hunger, clean water, at least in Montreal, right? Clean water. What would be your big initiatives that you would run? We like to be on our high horse. If, if, well, if I was in really the world, blah, blah, blah. If I was in charge of Montreal, it wouldn't be construction everywhere. If I was, like, like we love to put that forward. But in reality, uh, probably not. Those probably wouldn't be your first things. Instead, you would probably stand in front of the mirror and say, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who is the best of them all, or whatever you would say. But this idea that we would be about our thing. It's very likely if you were ruling the world that you would become dictator-ish. I don't want to say dictator because you might be very deeply offended. So I'm adding the ish because if you say ish, that kind of is the the nice politically correct way to say whatever you want. So you'd be dictator-ish, I'm sure. Because here's what happens. When we get increased power, we become easily immune to the needs of others. When we get increased importance, we have to think of ourselves more often than others. Why? Why is this a trajectory for so many? Why when we get put in, in a seat of power and prominence, do we stop thinking about people that maybe we thought of just the day before? Well, really it's because the seeds of selfish ambition are finally getting watered. For so long we want to rule the world, we want to do the things that we want to do, we just haven't had the opportunity, the money, the relationships, the position, the position, to do those things. But if you rule the world, you had all of those things. Your seeds of selfish ambition are finally being watered. They can sprout and flourish and remove everyone in your wake. Here's the thing. All of us have these types of seeds in us. We're little dictators inside. We have the ability to be that given the right opportunity. But why do I say that? Well, because in the book of Micah... Which is a book written to the people of Israel uh, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, these seeds had sprouted. These seeds of selfish ambition had sprouted in the leaders, especially. And so now Micah 3 is God coming to judge his people. His people. Sometimes we think about the church as being safe and God's going to judge everyone outside of the church. But God here is coming to his people to judge. In Micah 1, we get this this view of the world watching as God comes down upon the mountains and condescends into the earth to bring this judgment. So this is where we're going to go today. Uh, Micah 3, verse 1. Uh, i 'm going to put the uh, the text up on the screen for us in just a second if you don 't have a Bible and you don 't want to buy one of those scripture journals, uh, please take a Bible on your way out this morning. Our gift to you So Micah chapter three verse one says this, and I said, Here are you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? Is it not for you to know justice So what we have here is a scene similar to Micah chapter 1. There's a courtroom scene that's taking place that that God is going to be the judge and he's coming down into his chambers to bring a verdict upon his people. And in this specific verse, we see, here you heads of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel. So in this day, there was no separation between um, religion and state. They, They were just all intermingled together. Yes, they were under... Uh, well, not Roman rule yet, uh, but it was going to come later on. But there was no separation between the the state and the religion. Though there was always some sort of dominant world force. Assyria is going to be brought into the picture later on. But your officials, there was no um, there was no Bill Twenty One, right? You wore your religion on your sleeve or in your hair or on your robe or on your head. Like this was just normal, normal attire. And so who are these heads and rulers? Well, they would be the professionals making decisions every day for the good of the people. So in that day, it was judges and officials. So God is going to bring a verdict against the judges of that day. That's interesting. The great judges coming against the judges. But also, just the officials who are overseeing different parts of city life. So if we were going to bring that into our context, inside of the church... This could be that God was coming down against local pastors. He was coming down against the decisions that maybe city group leaders were making. Maybe he's coming down against the, the Christian leaders in the marketplace. right? Because we have to be able to take what's going on in this day, many, many years ago, and apply it to our reality. So we have to think about then and now. So we can't just distance ourselves from this text and say, oh, that had to do with them. That God was different than the God today. No, not true. God deals with his people the same. So this text applies to us. And not just the leaders, but in fact, all those who are followers of Jesus would be considered leaders. So we can make the big application that as we're going through this text this morning, this actually applies to everyone. Everyone. Because there's no clergy, laity divide. I'm the pastor, you are the people. I'm responsible for this stuff, you're not responsible for anything. Just do the things that I'm telling you to do. There's not that. There's not that. There's the people of God. And some people are given to the church as gifts to help the church grow up and be equipped for all of ministry. But the ministry doesn't happen on a Sunday morning primarily. The ministry happens in the normal, everyday, grind Life, sleepless nights with kids, bad bosses, decaf coffee, like this, this type of stuff, this is where God wants to meet us. This is our responsibility that God is looking at the things that we do and he has something to say to us in the normal, everyday things of life because you are a leader. And some of you try and shirk that responsibility. Well, I didn't sign up for that. But did you sign up to follow Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Well, Jesus called you to die. Die to your desires, your needs, your ambitions, your future, and to get behind him. And he calls you a leader. He puts you in places to show off his goodness. To lead, to be light to the world. A world of darkness. So we're all in this. We're all leaders. So don't hear this text about being for someone else. Let's apply it to our own hearts as we're going through this. And here's what he says in verse 1, that leaders, it's, is it not for you to know justice? That leaders were made to know justice, to know what is good and right and true. Let me read for you Amos five fourteen and 15. That's too big. I'm going to open my Bible and go there. You're just going to wait for me. All right, here you go. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. We hear a lot about Jacob and Israel. And actually, Jacob and Israel uh, were the same person. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and Joseph was one of um, Jacob's sons. So we get caught up sometimes in these names, but it's to refer to, to the people of God. He's just applying different names at that time. But leaders should know justice. Here's a summary of Amos, what they should have been living love good, hate evil, and seek justice where you are able. Seek justice where you are able. Whatever's within your power. There are huge things happening at governmental levels and country levels and global levels that you really don't have the ability to step in and do anything about at this point. But there are things happening in your neighborhood that you have lots of opportunity to step in and do something about. I was walking through the city yesterday with someone, and we were talking about uh, different fights that we had broken up in downtown Montreal. And it's like, oh, you run it fights too? He's like, Yeah. And we were talking about how, like, people would start fighting. we run in the middle of it and, like, break it up and how fun it is and how people just are, like, whoa. Oh. And they just respect whoever, like, usually, respect whoever breaks it up. And then they just kind of, like, like, little kids, you're, like, don't do that. And they're, like, okay, I won't do it. And they, like, walk away. And it's amazing. Like, little guy, five, seven and a half, I call myself five, eight, run in the middle, say, stop. They're, like, okay, stop, we'll stop. And they, they go away. But that's how the people of God should be acting that we run into chaos, we run into unjust things taking place, and we say, stop! This can't happen here. Not on these streets. Love good, hate evil, seek justice where we're able. See, it sounds so easy when we're sitting down with not a lot of responsibility. And if I was ruling the world, I would do these things, right? It sounds so easy to use the, if I was, I would statements. But what happens when we actually have the power? What happens when we get the power? Things change, don't they? Have you ever watched an older sibling get responsibility? What happens? Like kids get tied up and like put in their room and like starvation takes place. Like, you're like, what what are you doing, four-year-old older sibling of your two? Like, they were being bad. They needed their food taken away. It's like, when have I ever taken away your food? But, like, this is what just comes out. It's like that seed of selfish ambition has been watered a little bit, and they're like, I'm ready for the world, like, coming out. It's someone like Dwight Schrute. One of the worst things is that my namesake is Dwight Schrute, right? It's like, ah, we're not the same person. But what happens? Do you know Dwight Schrute? Yeah, Yeah, okay. Uh, The Office, it's this television show, there's this thing called TVs. people watch him sometimes. So, uh... Dwight Schrute is the assistant to the regional manager. Not really, but that's just kind of the title that's been given to him. Once in a while, Michael, the boss, gives him an opportunity to have responsibility. And what does he do? He gloats and boasts and like, takes away health care from everyone in the office because he has the opportunity to do it. What happens? That seed of ambition gets watered, and we become crazy. Selfish ambition takes over. Look what the leaders do. Now, this isn't literal. Okay? This isn't literal. This is figurative language. Prophetic literature, often very figurative. But look, look what's happening. Micah 3, 2 and 3. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. So we're going to enter into December, and we're going to uh, do some nice Christmas-esque sermons out of Micah. I decided to put Micah 3 in November instead of December uh, because of passages like this. Like, this is brutal. This is brutal. If you're going to be a leader, do you know what you find out? You find out that people are not programmed with your vision. People do not want to do the things that you want for them to do, even if they wanted to do them yesterday when you weren't a manager. The minute that you say, here's what we're going to do, like, no. But this was our idea. Like, I have the photo to show you. We came up with this together. Like, I didn't sign that. That's not mine. That's your phone. I don't want to be about that. Like, when we start to lead people, we find out that they're not programmed the way that we want for them to be. So we have two choices. We have two choices as leaders. We can either serve them. We can be patient in our teaching and understanding and actually see, is this the best way forward for them? Or we can, we can use them and devour them. And those are really our two choices. We can serve them or we can use them. And these leaders here, they use their power to devour. Look at what they do. In, in verse 11. Of chapter 3. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. The people that you should feel safest around, judges, they are being bribed. So injustice is being done against you. But that person that did the injustice actually paid off the judge, this godly judge, and the judge is now saying, actually, I find nothing wrong with that person. It's like, yeah, but they they took everything from me. They burned down my house. You're like, no, that was a misunderstanding. You burned down your house. I don't know how that happened, but they didn't do it. This is what was actually happening. Judges were, were taking bribes. People of God, judges, representing the people of God, are taking bribes and giving Injust sentences and verdicts. The priests, the priests come to the priest. The priest is the intermediary between God and, and man. The priests are coming and they're doing things for, for a price. Within the long history of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, you know, selling things. Oh, you want to get out of purgatory if we... Believe there's such a thing as purgatory. Do this. You want your sins forgiven quicker? Buy this thing. Like Say these things. Get this trinket, and God will be more happy with you. I mean, this is what the priests are doing. They're teaching and doing things for a price. I can help you get to God, but it's going to cost you this. And then the prophets. They're giving visions for cash, but they're kind of like palm readers. Divination isn't giving what's godly. It's basically lying to people or giving demonic visions to them for cash, saying this is from God. And we see this in the church, too. When false theology slithers its way in, we see church leaders taking bribes, giving false theology and false teaching, selling things. Well, if you just have my handkerchief then God will heal you. I remember being a new Christian like a week, a week-old Christian. And I worked in group homes with, with kids with mental disabilities, and um, and I had to stay up all night long. And so I was watching TV, and like at three in the morning, this very uh, powerful, influential speaker was on. I'm like, oh, I think this is a preacher guy. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm a new Christian. This is going to be great. And And he's talking to me about, and it felt like he was talking right to me, about sending him $1,000. And I'm like, what would this guy want with $1,000? And he's like, God's going to send that $1,000 back to you whenever you want it. You just send it to me first. And I almost believed it. I was so new in the faith, and I'm like, Lord, all my money is yours. Maybe I had $1,000 in the bank at that point. But I'm like, all my money is yours. If you want me to send it to this guy, whoever he is, I just trust that he's probably doing great things. And I went home to, I live with my grandparents at the time, went home to my grandfather and said, hey, I heard this guy. He's like, stop. You know, and I explained to my grandfather what I heard. And he discipled me that this is a false teacher, that he has no biblical backing to send him the money and that I can just claim my money back. This is the kind of garbage that happens within Christianity. And so much, I fear that Christianity begins in the name of Jesus and then just leads to people's pockets or jets. If we ever say we need to raise money for a jet, just shoot me. Like, just put me out of my misery, please. I know we're in Canada, but like, take me to the States on a hiking trip or something and just kick me off the edge, please. These people were shepherding people to eat them, shepherding people to eat them. Jess's sister and her husband they just got they got goats. I love goats goats are so fun. i don't know why I like goats they're just cool, and they just got goats, and I was like, "Oh, that'll be so fun to go and visit them and see the goats and Jess just looked at me like they're going to eat them like. How do, you, how do you play with goats and then eat them? Like, I don't understand that, but that's something people do in Indiana, and that's how it happens. And I eat goat too, I just don't play with it before I do. Um, but imagine, like, hey, I'm so glad you're all here today. I can't wait to eat you later. This is what the leaders were doing, this is what they're using their positions for. They were using God's movement for their kingdom. God's movement for their kingdom. And this is an age-old problem, as old as time. That when God created humanity, God put certain boundaries in place so that we would be with him and be in relationship with him forever. And we broke that boundary. We went after the fruit of a tree that God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree, because the day you eat of that, you will die. Well, we wanted to be objects of worship just like God, so we went after the fruit and we ate of it and our eyes were opened and that's where death actually came into the world and brokenness and sin and shame and guilt and remorse and killing and abuse everything happened with that bite of rebellion and so the reality is, is that we do this we look at people for what we can get out of them don't we it's hard to it's hard to own up to that but we do do you use your company for what you can get out of it? And I'm not just talking about like taking extra paper or staples or pens home, though that's unethical too, just so you know. But do you use your company for you? I'm just gonna work in this job for, for a few years, I'm just gonna pad my CV and, and keep going. Does your boss know that? Like when you got hired you're like, hey bro, just letting you know I'm here for two years, patting my CV, out of here. Like, this is not dream job. Some places, they'd be like, of course. Like, we wish that we could be out of here, too. But most jobs, that's not the case. And so instead of viewing our time in this position, this place now, as like, man, I'm going to invest wholeheartedly in this thing, we're always looking for the next thing. And I'm not saying looking at the next thing is a bad thing. That's not. But if the Lord's put you someplace now, like, be all there now. Some of you are students and you're going to be leaving at the end of uh, April, May, whenever, and you're already checking out. And the Lord has placed you in this place, in this city, not to use the city for the culture you can get out of it, but to serve the city with all of the goods that the Lord has given to you. That He puts us in places to be servants. Do you use your church? I talk to many youth pastors talked to one this past week and it's such a weird conversation but like no one wants to be a life youth pastor i know one guy guy in indiana amazing steve amazing but no one wants to be a lifetime youth pastor they see it as like the stepping stone it's like oh cool so you want to like step on our 12 to 17 year olds so you can get to a real position oh that'd be neat So you just want to use our youth so you can do real ministry because they're not real ministry. So awkward to to ask that question to people. But I do. Um, Use your family. Do you just use your family? I don't really get along with mom and dad, but they have a lot of money, so I'm just going to use their money to accomplish what I want but not really have a relationship with them. You use your, your spouse so you just don't have to be single and alone or your sex partner, but that's kind of all they are. Do you use Montreal for your furtherance? Again, like the students, maybe you're here on a contract and you're just here to consume, to enjoy, do the tourist thing, you know, get a little comment ça va in your thing, do a Franco whatever class, and then you'll be on your way. A Little bit of culture to go to your next place. Do you just use all of life for your next thing? Do you use the people around you for your furtherance. Jesus told a parable in the New Testament about a son. There are two sons in this story, but I'll just focus on one. Uh, the son looked at the dad. Dad was probably getting old in age. Son wanted to party. He wanted to be, uh, yeah, I guess a partier. They call him the prodigal son. So he spent lots of money as he went away and wasted it all. But he looked at the dad one day and said, in essence, dad, I wish you were dead. Because I want the inheritance that is due to me. But he didn't say it that way because he was smarter, right? So, hey, dad, lovely dad, wonderful dad, your dress is so nice. Could could you give me the money that's owed to me because I'd really like to go and start my own thing. And what does the dad do? The dad gives him the stuff and the son bails without another thought of the dad. He didn't love the dad. He didn't want the dad. He just wanted his dad's stuff. He wished that he was dead, and to him, he was as good as dead. And so, like the sun, it's possible for us to see the city, our job, our family, but also God like that. That we can look at God and just want his stuff. We just want your stuff and you around so that my purposes can be fulfilled. And God, if you're not about that and you don't want to get behind that, I'm not really interested in you either. So my fear is that as the church is is growing, 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 not just our church, but the church, is that we have a lot of people that love the idea of God and really love his stuff, but don't know him. But don't know him. Someone was sharing with me this morning about someone that they're ministering to and they've been meeting with them and shared this past week with with this guy that this this guy's dad is very wealthy, but has probably said only two or three sentences to him his whole entire life. It becomes easy at that point to just want someone for, for their stuff. And it's easy for us to treat God like that. That because we feel like God is distant or we feel like... God is absent, or we feel in our feelings something is happening, that, God, we just want your stuff, but we don't really know you. These leaders were in this place. They just wanted stuff. But they didn't really know God. So here's the thing. Micah saw a time coming when these leaders would desperately need God. Let's look at it, Micah 3, verse 4. They will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. He hides his face from inflictors of injustice. This should be good news to us. That for those who are are pounding people around this world... Stepping on them, using them, abusing them. God is opposed to them. God doesn't, although contrary to popular opinion, God doesn't help those who help themselves. He won't. By you helping yourself to say, I don't need you, God. God certainly won't help people lead others away from him through lies. And this is what these leaders were doing. Look at verse 5. Thus is the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. God will not help people who are leading people away from God. He just Won't. He's not going to get behind your agenda. So, if your agenda is all about building your platform, your success, your portfolio, and oh, by the way, on the side, I'm a Christian. Proud, arrogant, stepping on people, unethical, against him in every way, but on Sunday morning, maybe you show up and you put a hand up. I am yours. God is opposed to the proud. God doesn't help people lead others away from him. Furthermore, God allows for powerlessness and impotence to be seen, even within his people. Look at verse 6 and 7. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision, darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. You ever have someone do something that says they're a Christian, and it's just so dumb, so against everything that we're about, and you ever ask the question, are they going to give a bad name to the church? Yes. Yes, for sure. Like, what they did was dumb. Very dumb. Anti- God, even, oftentimes. But we worry. We we worry that someone's going to give a bad name to the church. But here we see that God isn't impacted by that. These people are going to give a bad name to the people of God. But God isn't worried about that. He knows that he's only good. He knows that his plans are going to keep moving forward. And God, listen to this, God even allows his people to experience Embarrassment for living for their own glory. God allows for his people to be embarrassed when they're living for his glory. Because if, if God showed the greatness of their kingdom, he would have to diminish the perfect, eternal, glorious nature of his kingdom. These two kingdoms are opposed to one another. God goes even so far to allow for his city To be destroyed, Micah three verse twelve. Therefore, because of you, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins in the mountain of the house of wooded height. So, this fall of of Jerusalem is prophesied in seven eleven B.C. and it's fulfilled in six oh nine B.C. Here's what God is trying to say to His people. These people were saying, it's all good. God's not upset. God's not mad. Don't worry about it. Mike is like, shut up. God is upset. God is mad. God is coming to judge you. They're like, no, brother, peace. Like, God is a God of peace and love. And God is a God of wrath. And he's coming to judge you. Here's what Mike is saying. If we use God to build our platform, he won't play. If we use God to build our kingdom, he doesn't show up. He's not attached to the same things that you and I are. Jesus was at dinner one night before he was crucified. He had his disciples around the table. And a woman comes and she breaks this bottle of perfume that today would have sold for probably $50,000, $60,000. And she comes and she pours out the whole thing of perfume on Jesus. Like wiping, mopping his feet with her hair. And the disciples are just watching this thing. And Judas who betrayed Jesus later on, is looking on to this, and he says this thing that sounds really nice. Jesus, why, like, why did you let her break this? We could have given this money to the poor. But we actually find out in Scripture that Judas was stealing from the money bag. Judas would have loved that $50,000 in his purse. And it was at that moment that Judas said, no, I'm not following this, Jesus. That's where Judas left. Because Jesus' kingdom and Judas' kingdom were going two completely different directions. You see, Jesus and and our selfish ambitions, they'll never play in the sandbox together. They're never going to be best buddies together. In fact, they belong to opposite kingdoms completely differently. So, the question... Is there a different way forward? We have seeds of selfish ambition in us. Could get watered, maybe not, but they're still there. Is there a different way forward than ending up like these leaders? Yes. Yes. Listen to Micah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria... In Jerusalem. There is a different way forward. And it's allowing for the word of the Lord to come to us as it came to Micah. Allowing for the word of the Lord to come and redefine us. And remake us. And renew us. And change us. And help us see things differently. This is what preaching is all about. It's, I, I know that we all come in with selfish ambition. I know that we're all dictator, dictatorish in our hearts. I am. And I know that our only solution is Jesus. Our solution is not to, well, try and be a better dictator this week. Try and only be half as selfish as you were last week. No, the solution is to allow for the word of the Lord to come upon us and shatter us, break us, humble us. So that we can actually find life. And allow for, for our ambitions to join his ambitions. Because the word of the Lord came to Micah so that Micah could speak this to people and have them repent, to turn away from the way they were going. And say, I didn't know. Now I know. Now I want to turn and live a different way than I've been living. You see, God knew that you were selfish. And that you'd only be selfish. He knew I was selfish. And I'd only be selfish. So Jesus actually came to be selfish for us. The selfless one came to be become selfishness for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21. It says this. Therefore, knowing... Uh, nope, that's not it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation... The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their selfish ambitions against them, but instead entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ god making his appeal through us that we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to god for our sake he made him to be sin selfish ambitions who knew no selfish ambitions sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god you see jesus came not to make you a better person but to make you a new person Jesus came to take spiritually dead people and bring them to life. Jesus came to make you new and to change your selfish hearts, full of selfish ambition, into hearts that are just like Jesus, that move toward people in selflessness. So here's what happens. We'll apply this. Here's what happens when you receive new identity and you relinquish your selfish ambition. Micah 3.8. Micah says this of himself. As for me, in contrast to the others, as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression into Israel, his sin. Micah's standing in contrast to the leaders. So there are just five things and then we'll be done. Uh, here's what happens when you receive your, your new identity. The father... God the Father gives you himself. God the Father gives you himself. Remember the story I told you of the son who ran away from the dad saying, I wish you were dead? Well, that son, he went off and he partied, lived a lavish life. Friends used him for what they could get out of him. They had selfish ambition. He was left with nothing. He was eating pig food or trying to eat pig food. When you become covetous of pig food, you have problems, right? Right? But he had nothing and he said, oh, I'll go back to my dad and I'll be a servant of him because my servants eat better than what I'm eating. They live better than me. So he goes back to his dad, all humble pie, ready to eat it in front of dad. And what does the father do when when this kid arrives? He runs to him. We have a father. When we go to him with our selfish ambitions, we're like, God, I wanted to use this church for my glory. I wanted to use this job for me. I wanted to use this city for me. I wanted to use my Christianity for me. So I could get ahead. And when we run at God with that, God is not waiting with a baseball bat ready to tee off on us. God is running at us with open arms saying, I've been waiting for you to see that. I've been waiting for you to bring to me your selfish ambition. Because now I want to make you look just like my son Jesus. You see, when we go with our brokenness to God, God puts us back together. God doesn't say, you disgust me when you get your crap together, then come and see me. He holds us until we do. He's a relentless father who gives us everything that we don't deserve. So this morning, you can be embraced by the one that you've used. Think about that. You've been using God your entire life. This morning, you can say that out loud. And God says, now I want to embrace you. I want to assure you, I don't hold anything against you. All that using me was put on Jesus on the cross. There's no more penalty for you. The second thing that happens is as Micah said, as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord, that the spirit of God wants to come upon you and fill you. One of my first prayers in the morning when I wake up, I go out, I get coffee, I fumble through ESPN because I'm not really awake yet and I'm looking at sports scores. I get my coffee, I sit down, turn my phone off and the first thing I say is, God, I want your presence. I just want you. I want your presence to overwhelm me because I want to love you more than I love Church 21. I want to love you more than I love Acts 29. I want for things I want Acts 29 to be used for your glory and Church 21 to be used for your glory, not the other way around. Using God for us to get this thing. So we can be filled with the Spirit of God and have his presence. And when his presence comes upon us, those little seeds of selfish ambition get destroyed. Because Micah wasn't perfect. He was a sinner just like us. But by the power of the Spirit, he wasn't working for personal gain. He wasn't a people pleaser. Maybe he was before. But now he's speaking hard things to people. He's not a people pleaser at all under the power of the Spirit. And we have to get this right because I think we try and live so much of our Christian life without the Spirit of God. We're the church. We try and be the church as if it depended on us. But it doesn't depend on us. The Spirit of God who led Jesus throughout his life, who raised him from the dead, is dwelling inside every person of God that's here. And you can't do the ministry he's calling you to do without the Spirit. And when you're exhausted and burned out and tired and frustrated, it's usually because you've been trying to do it without the Spirit. The Spirit never brings you into things that are going to overwhelm him. They might overwhelm you, but they're not going to overwhelm him. So what the spirit does is he will help you continually kill the seed, throwing down holy, eternal, organic pesticide all over the seeds of selfish ambition that exist in our hearts. And this is going to be a daily thing. When you find yourself doing something for you, the spirit says, hey, that's for you, not for the Lord. You're like, oh, that's right. Hey, Lord, I want you more than that thing. That's where repentance is. It's beautiful. You get to turn back to life immediately. The third thing that happens is that you get to submit to real power. You get to submit to real power. Imagine that the power goes out your house and you put a piece of toast in your toaster and you push it down. And you're like, well, this isn't working. So then you take your little Bic lighter and you flip the toaster upside down and you're just like... You know, playing this thing, trying to, to heat up the toast somehow. I saw power, and the toast is just going to be burned in the top. Like, come on, you didn't think through that. But then when the power comes back on, and you plug the toaster in and you push the thing down, real power is taking place. Things are going to happen. So often our, our life of following Jesus, we think, is more like the big lighter. I just need to figure this out. The Spirit is saying, would, would you just plug into me? Would you allow for me to be the power that overwhelms your daily activities, Would you allow for me to overwhelm you with the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit? And what that means is that you just give up. You just give up. Okay, I'm done. I I can't do this on my own. I need you to do this in me and for me. So what I'd love for us to do this morning is in our hearts, you don't have to like hold it up or anything, but in our hearts that we would hold out what we want to build for us. I want to build a family. I want to build a business. I want to build influence. And these things are all for me, right? Now, God, these are yours. You you can have it. As if God didn't already have it, but we give it back to him. It's all yours. Now, here's what's going to happen. God might take the thing that you're offering up to him, and he might recalibrate your heart motive. So you get to keep that thing, and then you have the right heart. But here's the other thing. God might take that thing away. God might say, thank you for giving that to me. And that's it. But you still have God. You want to know the false gods that that we serve? It's when God says, oh, I'll take that thing away. And we become destroyed. We say, God, I'm done with you. You didn't give me that thing. I'm done with you. I'm going to pursue that. That's your false god. That's your idol that you've made. But God knows best. He loves you most. He's the good surgeon that cuts out what's going to destroy you. Sometimes he takes away things that we don't understand why he does that. But he always does what is good, right, and true. We submit to real power, so we begin to use our influence, the power platform for speaking against injustice. Do you know how much injustice is happening in our city right now? If we did, we would be overwhelmed, we would weep, we wouldn't say anything, we wouldn't know where to start. But what does God want to do against injustice in the city? There's there's a woman that that I know, I I work uh, with her, her husband in another ministry, and she is visiting all these strip clubs, now getting to know and meet women who have been trafficked into that, so that they can be taken out of that. There's a, a church plant that was just planted in, in Cardiff in Wales. There's an Acts 29 stories video that came out. But they started the church thinking, what are the injustices that are being done in this city? And let's plant a church around those injustices. Let's begin one at a time going after those things. So sex trafficking was one of them. So they created a coffee company where now they, hire, they rescue people out of slavery and they hire them at this coffee company. So they rescue them, rehabilitate them, and employ them. And in that process, they're seeing people meet Jesus. Lots of different languages. What does God want to do against injustice in this city? Your selfish ambitions are not going to be against injustices. They're going to be for you to prevail. But God says, be humble, get behind my ambitions, and watch what I do in this city through my people. Fourth, understand our part in the story. God is not looking for entrepreneurial good news. God already has good enough good news in Jesus. God wants faithful declarers and doers. Here's the thing you will be forgotten. You will be forgotten. Your great grandkids, this is always good news I like to remind people of. Your great grandkids probably won't know your name. Your grandkids, there's a good chance they won't know your name. And they won't want to come to your house one day because, like, ah, it kind of smells like mothballs or something. Like, it's going to be strange and like you've worked so hard to get to this place, and your grandkids are going to look at you like, you don't have the candy I like. You're going to be forgotten by most people in this world. You won't have a plaque somewhere, most likely. But God will not forget about you. And God will use your temporary time here to reap eternal consequences that we will celebrate for all of eternity in his presence. Lastly, Here's what happens when you receive a new identity. You begin to serve others just like Jesus. You begin to play king of the mountain. Who likes king of the mountain? I do. I'm little, so if I lose, it's like, yeah, I'm little. But if I win, I'm like, you're not so strong, right? I have the best of both worlds. I play with my kids, and I still win. I don't give them any mercy. Like, at one point, they will beat me, probably. But king of the mountain is played like this. You build a big mountain, or Snow Plow makes a big mountain, and someone gets to the top, and then they protect the top by any means possible. Any means. Anything goes. Throwing, biting, kicking, like anything. However you need to win, you win. So the whole goal of King of the Mountain is to keep people off, and that's often how we look at leadership. I need to make it to the top. I need to step on people, bite, throw, spit, push, whatever, trick them, whatever we need to do. But when we understand our new identity, we do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus was at the top of the mountain. What did he do? He came down the mountain to get every single one of us, put us on his back, and take us up the mountain. And we're like looking over at people like, I'm climbing the mountain. It's like my, my children. I remember climbing a mountain in Nehemiah when he was really little. And he wouldn't remember this, but... I mean, we did all the work. And he'll tell people, yeah, we climbed the mountain that day. I'm like, you were nine months chilling, hanging out. Like, you did nothing. But this is what Jesus does with us that he comes down the mountain, picks us up, brings us back up. And then what he does is he sends us back down the mountain. And Jesus hanging onto us allows for us to grab onto other people. And we begin to pull people up because at the top of the mountain, there's enough room for every tribe, tongue, and nation to be there. Around King Jesus. And he gets all the glory. How did you make it to the top of the mountain? Jesus. Jesus came and got me. So when we go out into our spheres of influence and our families, we don't go out to see how I can get mine. We go out to see who is it that I can bring up the mountain to meet and see King Jesus. Because good shepherds lead to good pastors not eating the flock. So how do you need to respond this morning? Do you use people regularly? Do you use people regularly? Before meeting Jesus, this was my thing. I don't know if I actually had any friends. I just saw people as what I could get out of them. And I remember when the Lord came and he changed my heart. And I looked at people with love, I think for the first time. That instead of thinking, what can I get out of you? I'm like, what can I do for you? And that was so new for me. That was radically different. So do you use people? Is that something you need to repent of this morning? Turn from and turn back to Jesus. Do you use God? God, I'll stick around as long as you give me X, Y, Z. Do you use God? Or do you say, I don't care about X, Y, Z. I just want your presence. I just want you. I want to be like you, Jesus. The Lord will honor that. He will begin to do new work in you. Are you a coward? Do you see injustice happening all around you? You're like, I can't say anything. If I say anything, I lose my job. You already have an identity that can't be taken away. And God gave you that job anyway. I'm not saying be dumb. But what can you do to, to alleviate and correct some of the injustices that you see happening? What are the fights that you see that you can run into the middle of and say, peace is here? And I, I'm not the one bringing peace. The Lord is bringing peace. Do you need to return to Him this morning? Have you been running from God, playing church, playing, being a follower, but you're not really a follower. You like the idea of it, but you're not really a follower. Of him. this morning He says, "Come on, I'm that Father who wants to embrace you." I'm that father who wants to open my arms and run at you, not just wait for you to make it, but run at you. And as you're about to fall from guilt and shame, swoop you up, sit down, put you on my knee, look at you and say, you are the apple of my eye. I love you. Because of what Jesus has done for you, I am so pleased with you and I'm gonna create in you a new life that is pleasing to me in every way. And that's gonna only happen by you submitting to him. God is a God of judgments, but God took the judgment for us in Jesus and offers us forgiveness, new life, new hearts, and sends us to go and alleviate the injustices that are happening around us on a daily basis. Lord, how do we do this? This is so overwhelming. You're such a good God. Your presence is here. I'm overwhelmed by that. by you that you love us, that you know the ways that we manipulate and, and change and, and swerve and convince people to do things our way so that our kingdoms are built. But you run at us like that good father that you are to embrace us and change us. So Lord, we're, we're a church here trying to figure out how to be a, a church that exists for the good of the city. There are people here, I, I'm sure, that don't yet know you, Would you help them to understand who you are this morning? Would they be able to say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Rescue me. I believe in your death. I believe you're alive and you did that for me. And then would you comfort them by your spirit? For those of us that know who you are, Lord, would you overwhelm us with your presence? Would you help us to see that real power is available? Some of us need to be embraced by you this morning, Dad, and and be held. Some of us are so proud that we can't even envision a, a, a dad who would pick us up and embrace us. So would you do that with us? And would you help us to be people who are sent out for the well-being of the city? Would you Would you help us respond the way you want us to respond this morning? We need you. Amen.